the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had an appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. All right, well, let's uh, let's talk about this uh, section now in Revelation 4, moving out of the seven churches of Asia. Now we start moving into the, the vision sequence. I'm going to throw it right at you all. Tell me the things that you see. Let's talk about what's going on in this in this chapter. Janet? It's Absolutely. If you've been here for the Ezekiel series that we're on pause for for just a few weeks, and we'll be back in Ezekiel soon, you see Ezekiel 1 exploding out of uh, this uh, this text. Particularly, you see the descriptions in verses uh, 6, 7, and 8 of, of this chapter, which uh, definitely remind you of what was going on in Ezekiel 1. Remember, Ezekiel 1 is a very complicated vision of uh, I don't know what words you want to give it. This thing, this contraption, this <laughs> with wheels and eyes all around and wings that touch and it always goes straight, but it can move everywhere and the wings go and it goes up and all of that. And, and you're seeing a, a reminder of that, that very picture uh, here. All the same uh, imagery is, is, is given. Uh, so we're definitely looking into the, the throne room scene of God. Julie? Yeah, and that's something that we need to, to, to contemplate, and we'll spend probably our 45 minutes talking about, is, is as we look at all of the pictures and images and, and, and vivid symbols that are given here, it is to be thinking in your mind, well, why are we seeing this? How is this something for uh, the people of God and these seven churches, and why would this be uh, useful to them or important to them because it's not just simply oh hey by the way let me tell you what it kind of looks like up there you know here you go and okay now moving right along and this is clearly not just merely informational it's something that's going to be relevant to them that they're needing to see about God 
so that this can help them in their present circumstances. Debbie? Oh, I saw verse 5, and it reminded me of Mount Sinai. Which okay. Which should resonate with them, because that means God's presence. Okay, good. So, so one of the things that probably came to your eyes was a lot of Sinai com- comes out here. In fact, uh, that goes back to verse 1. Uh, the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet. This has two reference points backwards. One, if you remember when God came down in, in Exodus 19 and was going to meet the people and he's about to speak as God is coming to Mount Sinai, the, the sound is that of a trumpet that's just getting louder and louder and louder. And you have Sinai shaking and smoking and all of that, which is somewhat of what you see going on in verse 5. And then as God spoke, it was just so uh, terrifying that we're told that the people thought they were going to die (laughs) when when that happened. Uh, The other reference point is, uh, you will notice it says there in verse 1, the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet. It's pointing back to a prior speaker. Who's our speaker that we had that was speaking like a trumpet in in Revelation? Right. We saw in chapter 1 and verse 10, the son of man who has this voice like a trumpet. So it it is interesting to see that the son of man, the Christ Jesus, he is directly being connected as the Lord because he's got the same voice, the same kind of presence, same kind of imagery is being given. So the the Sinai picture is certainly uh, a, a big thing to see here. Is it's as if God is now coming and, and, and speaking and is, is ready to do something. Charlotte? Uh, are these elders, are these different types of angels? All right. Right, right to the hardest question of the chapter, right? <laughs> Who are the 24 elders? Yep. 12 Could refer to the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. There's a good 24. Dennis, are you agreeing with that? Yeah. They, all right, there's two. Everybody in? <laughs> we'll take a vote and thus says us, right? <laughs> uh, it doesn't tell us. No. It, it, it doesn't tell us who they are. Um, it's not troubling to see it that way as potentially pointing to uh, the, the Old Testament with the, the, the tribes of Israel and the New Testament with the 12 apostles and having that kind of symbolism. I think that's valid and reasonable, but at the end of the day, that's a guess. <laughs> it doesn't say. It never gives us any indicator of, let me tell you something a little bit more about them and who they are and it, it, it never says. So uh, I'm, I, I'm in the same boat of thinking that could very well be uh, who it's, it's referring to. It might be, be broader than that since they're seated on the throne. Um, for me, since they are seated on thrones, I don't think they're angels particularly, but I will be broader and go they're spiritual beings of some kind. But they're not human. I mean, they... They represent they, something on earth. Exactly. They, they represent that, but yes. But I, I think they're different than angels because they're giving ruling authority. And so that would be more befitting of the scriptures speak about Israel ruling, the apostles ruling, we are ruling. We've, we've seen those kinds of things. And so it could be representative of that and not just merely angels, Jim. But interesting to think, we think it's 12 because we had 12 on earth. 
they were there before the call. Right. So they, so. We, we are the representation of what they are. Right. They are not the representation of what we are. Yeah. I think it's important to say. Absolutely. This is, you know, this is all a type, so that yeah. was all there. This is all there. They've been there since before 12 tribes. <laughs> before any of that even happened, April. Well, in Revelation 21, when it does mention two sets of 12 or 24 of anything, it was the 12 apostles yeah. and the 12 tribes. So I don't think yeah. that would be um, an unlikely yeah. scenario. No. Those are the two twelves that are most yeah. often right. talked about. Which it, it's like asking why were there twelve apostles and not ten or fifteen or seventeen or two hundred and ten or nine? It's clearly having the twelve tribes of Israel connection. It's bringing forward that imagery and representing that through the twelve apostles. So the twelves have to have something to that effect. But again, it doesn't want to go out of its way to you and say, well, here's what that, what that exactly is. But it seems to represent that idea, right? Well, uh, under the Old Testament, there were four divisions There were. So you like that one better, okay? <laughs> we got sets of 12 and you could add them together. Sure. And that's what's, what's to me interesting is the point here is not to identify them. There's a bigger idea of what, why this chapter exists. Uh, if the message of the chapter was you needing to know who these were and what they're doing, then it would tell it to us. This is more incidental of who they are. Far more important is the chapter about what they're doing. That is far more integral to what's going on. Julie? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think this whole thing is setting up who is worthy, right? right. Because like you said, it's, it's more important. And, and if you draw a picture, they're, they're all surrounding his throne. They're all worshiping him, at, you know, forever. And, you know, they're at the end, you know, worthy are you to receive glory and honor. And so, again, they're, they're, they're witnessing, they're, they're, they're worshiping. Yep. And it's a continual, eternal, it never ends. And it goes back to what you were saying. Okay. We don't get into heaven by accident. We have to want to worship them here because that's what they're doing there. Good. Literally, it never stops. Good. It's eternal worship that never ends. Yeah, and I think that is one of the big pictures is the continuation idea when you, when you read this. Uh, it says in verse 8, they at the or middle of verse eight, they never cease to say. Okay, so they never stop saying this. And then you have verse nine. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne. Okay, well, when are they giving glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne? All the time. They never stop. So every time they're doing that, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship him. So how often are they doing that? So just visualize, it's like they, they, they get down and throw the crown, pick it back up, sit down again, pick it down, throw it on the ground, pick it back up. You, you just have this constant worship going on. No sooner uh, do the living creatures say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who is and was and is to come. That might be enough time for the 24 elders to pick their crowns back up and do it all over again, it seems like. And there's just this repetition and then they do what they're doing and they say what they're saying. And back and forth it goes. So you're getting a, 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 a picture of continuation. Do note you're getting a big picture of activity. And that might be the bigger thing to underscore. Uh, when you go back and look at verses uh, 4 and, and 5, what's going on in this throne room scene? Here is John. He is told uh, a door is opened up into heaven. 
And so here in Revelation 4, we're looking in and we're peering into the throne room of, of God. And some of the things we're, we expect to see, like the four living creatures from Ezekiel 1 are there. But what is ultimately going on as you look around this throne room from verses 4 and 5 that's, that's taking place? Yes. Right. The throne. It's coming from God. Okay. So what should we be our takeaway that as you look into the throne room and here is the, the, the glorious throne of God and out of the throne is lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. We've got burning seven torches of fire that are that are there. What, what, what are we supposed to see in that, Rita? You're seeing judgment and activity. So here, think about, we've just had this description to these seven churches of, of Asia. How are things going to go for Christians according to those letters? Not yeah, there's a lot of the letters that are saying, I know what you're enduring and there's more to come. I, I, I know that you're struggling. I, I know your patient endurance. I know that it's been tough. And to one of them, he says, tribulation, 10 more days. Uh, to another, you're going to be in prison. It's just constantly saying it's going to be more ahead. It's going to be hard. So as you come into the throne room of scene of, of, of God, does God look like he's asleep? Does it look like he's on vacation? Does it look like, you know, he's out to lunch for a while and, you know, the sign says be back at two o'clock? Active. He's doing you are seeing movement and action. So there is an important symbolism here that God is not on vacation or not acting. He is acting. There are judgments going forth. There is movement happening. There is God who is seeing all and he is doing something about the circumstances that we're being told uh, for these Christians. And that would be one real important reason why we need this throne room scene. Here you've told the Christians you're suffering and more is to come. Very first picture. Here's God on the throne. And nobody's standing still. The 24 elders are not standing still. The living creatures are not standing still. God's not being still. There is action, 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 action. Movement is happening. That would be encouraging. You know, if you're down here on earth and you're going through a lot and you're like, you know, Lord, what's going on up there? And you got this chance to look around and, you know, it was just quiet, you know, dead. Nothing's going on. You'd be like, uh-oh, <laughs> is anybody here? And you're getting the opposite picture. No, God's completely in charge. God's, God's moving with judgments and booming with thunder and flashes of, of lightning. And like Rita said, that's that kind of activity of judgment that's, that, that's coming there, that God is certainly uh, involved with the events that are, that are happening. Debbie? Um, John is the one that's seeing that. Yes. So is he supposed to be communicating this to others? Yes, and because back in chapter 1, he's told that he's going to write down these things that he's about to see. And you notice that's even confirmed in, in verse 1. Come up here and I will show you. Notice what must take place after this. After this, after what? Yeah, after these seven churches of Asia thing. That, okay, here's what's going on and here's what you need to do. But there's more that's coming. 
And so I'm going to show you those things, April. Well, and I think that that's important, that if you look at the end of chapter 3, he told them that I'm going to give you the right to sit with me on my throne, and then the next chapter shows you the throne. Yeah. And not only is God active, but he's not alone. And I think that's what yeah. the significance of the 24 people sitting around him is, that there are thrones, that he will sit on God's right hand. That's why I do think it is the, the apostles and the, the 12 tribes, because those are the people that have been God's people, and God has a place for them. And he had just told them, you were faithful, I have a place for you too. All right, absolutely. So I, I think one of the pieces of encouragement is to see the massive activity in heaven, massive activity in the throne room scene. This is a, a comfort to the people to see God is in action. Matt? It's hard for me to get my head wrapped around it all when you think about it. For me, with all the activity going on and then us down here experiencing what we're experiencing is a lifetime for us, yeah. right? Right. And, but heaven for God and his vision could be instantaneous. Yeah. You know, yeah. so because when you think about the power of God and the judgments and everything that He can do, just wipe everything out just by a word. Yeah. He's created everything by word. So to try to balance it all out and put things into perspective, it, it, it can be mind blowing. Absolutely. In so many ways, yes. what we're looking at. Yes, and, and we should expect the throne room scene of God to be mind blowing, right? Uh, if I go up there and go, well, this all makes sense. <laughs> I'm going to go, that's not what I was expecting out of the, the almighty creator God. It, it should be like, whoa, you know, and here's John going, whoa, <laughs> here's all the things that are happening. Stan? And, and you know, the people in the seven churches could, could see how to address that Absolutely, absolutely. That that kind of um, comfort and confidence, I think, is is intended to see God in action. God is is, is doing, uh, and, and I think you see that idea in verse three. It's highlighted also in Ezekiel one. Uh, what's around the throne? You got you got the rainbow. What does the rainbow symbolize? God's faithful covenant-keeping promise, right? And he used that to indicate through Noah to the world, I will never destroy the world by water again. This is a faithful covenant picture. Well, notice when you see the throne room and you see that, that would immediately remind you God keeps his word, God keeps his promises, and God's clearly not asleep. And when you're in the midst of suffering and trials and hardships, you can wonder, well, what's is God doing anything? Does God care? Does he see? And here's a great answer. Absolutely. You just keep in mind all that's going on up there is uh, to our eyes potentially chaotic, but clearly uh, God is active and moving through all those things. Seven that are mentioned there in verse Chapter one. Yeah. Yep. But I think we talked to like the messengers, maybe. Or, but are these different seven I, I'm going to keep them the same as what we saw in, in chapter one and verse four. And so the way I look at it, if you remember in chapter one, verse four, because the term seven spirits was sandwiched between 
God the Father and God the Son, and in between was seven spirits. Like, pretty undeniable that that would be the Holy Spirit and not angels listed in between there. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. So I think you have the idea of even, uh, we, we, we are seeing a picture of all three here. Well, who did we say was speaking in verse 1? Jesus is speaking. We have the Christ. We have the throne room scene, and we have the Holy Spirit there before the throne as well. And so I think that's the idea is that the totality of God is in that room, in that place, and all are active and, and, and doing these works uh, for the Lord in that. Janet? I think we should learn something from this in that you're talking about it being so active and exciting, and that's the way we should be worshiping down here. Yeah. I think there's a, a sense of that for sure, that there is... Um, I don't know that chaotic would be would be right, but there's certainly a, an excitement and a beauty about what is going on up there, uh, and, and the kind of worship uh, that that is going on. And when you think about the worship scene, uh, is the worship in this heavenly situation uh, creation focused or God focused? <laughs> You know, we're kind of a people that want worship to be about us. You know, what I want to do and what I got out of it and how I feel and what I like. And and if we're to put this in human terms, I don't know that it was comfortable to keep getting off the throne and picking up your crown and getting back up again and back down and all. It's God driven and God focused. That's what worship has to always be. If it's not God-driven and God-focused, then it's not worship. We're worshiping ourselves. We're doing what we like, what we want. What you know, it's it's what appeases us. So, I think that is a, a very important aspect of what you're seeing is that everything that is going on is absolutely driven to uh, the, the the glory of God in in all of this. Avet uh, uh, and then Vicky. Avet. Sure. With creation, and you yeah. hear them all speaking when he said, Let us make man in our own image, and just different things, and the spirit was hovering over, right. and you know, you see the activity going on. So it is right. truly the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah. It's a connection, and it's, it's a progression throughout the entire history yes. of the Bible, or you know, our world. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and seeing God in this light would certainly, I would think, not only bring an encouragement, but uh, as you're bringing out, and I think what Jan's bringing out too, this excitement of worship, of seeing the, the God who is beginning and end, who is over all things, who sees all things, who's active in all things. It's a great picture. Um, and, and I know I'm not a new, but for me, that is what we're created for. That is what we're created well. for, yes. Yeah, so that just simply solidifies that for me, that that is what we should be focused on, <laughs> and that's what we get to do. When we get there, it's to just right. simply praise and be so grateful and faithful. Yes. And, and, and that's what I think. Let's, let's spend some time with what they're what they're saying, and, and we can talk about what, what you're bringing up that I think is useful uh, to talk about as well. The first picture coming out of verse eight, where the four living creatures they never stop saying. And so here's your phrase: "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come." So. Let's, let's think about that one for a minute. There's a lot of characteristics that you could have had stated right here, right? 
It could have had love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. Mercy, 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 grace, 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 judgment, judgment, judgment. The characteristics of God are vast. So just, yeah, just to keep everybody on their toes. Now, so why holiness is the aspect that is spoken of here, and why would that work so well, Debbie? Well, holy embodies all these other things. Okay. Even judgment. Sure. That's part of, part of holiness is judgment. The holiness of God certainly reaches to all of those aspects. I think that's a, that's a good idea, Sanford. Well, we know that the Bible teaches without holiness, yeah. we'll never see God. Sure. I can remember, you know, when I was 13 years ago, you know, and I found this book and I started reading it and it was written by a brother in the church. And I, you know, I'm not, that, that, that's not important. What is important is it brought the connection of how holy and righteous God is. And it even brought out books like the Leviticus. Yep. You know, we, we read Leviticus, it's like, oh, it's such a hard book to get yeah. through. But it has shown so much of his holiness. It does. It's just amazing. It does, yeah. And that's what I, when I read this, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing his holiness, his righteousness. Yes. you got to stand in awe of that and respect it. Absolutely. Good. Uh, think about when anybody gets these opportunities to, and I'll use this term loosely, see God, and see God in some vision or see God in some kind of throne room or some What is always the general takeaway about being in the presence of God? What, what typically is the, the interaction that goes on in that? Okay, so one, nobody's able to stand. Everybody gets thrown to the ground. <laughs> John's thrown to the ground. Ezekiel's thrown to the ground. Uh, what, what, yeah, what does Isaiah say? I, yeah, I'm about to die. Uh, to be undone means I'm about to explode here. I, 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 woe is me because the one thing that he captures in being in the presence of God is not, oh man, it's great to be here. What a gracious God. I don't belong here. I am unclean and I live with an unclean people and there is no way I can be here right now. <laughs> And God has to solve that problem, remember, with the, the burning coals to impart that kind of holiness and cleansing upon him that you can be here. So one of the things that the throne room is always trying to show humanity is you, you just don't stroll around the throne room of God. You don't just go, hey, God, how's it going today? They hope things are great up there. You know, what's on your schedule? Uh, it is a, a terrifying thing. Because of his holiness, not because he's a scary guy, but he is so holy and pure and right that you can't help but see how much you're not, Dennis. It's, it's the only way we have to describe God. Yeah. You know, there's nothing else like it. And so yeah. everything, anytime you use it, it's set apart for God. Yeah. Because that's, that's the only way you can describe it. Yeah. We don't encounter things hardly often that are like 100% pure that you look at and go, Ooh, <laughs> you know, and when you do, you, repeat yourself. you do, <laughs> and it catches your attention when it's something is that pure that you're just like, well, that's unusual. There's not a speck of anything wrong with that. You just, 
You behold it for a minute. There, there is a takeaway with that. April. Well, whenever God met man on earth, that was holy place too. Like yeah. at the burning bush, yeah. at the temple, he, the clarity of that area holy. Absolutely. There. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even with God's encounter to Moses, uh, you, you can't stand here right now. This is holy ground. You better take those sandals off and understand what's going on in this moment right now. You, you don't just stroll around with God. So I, I think there is a, a, a vividness of uh, just the absolute holiness of God and the message of heaven is he is supremely holy. Now that's going to be useful for the last two chapters we've looked at because we've read a bunch of churches that aren't not, are not doing very well in the purity department. That he said, repent or else. And now you're getting a sense of why that's so important because you're not coming in here without the holiness of God on you. You you better come to the blood of Christ and you better find cleansing because you can't just be here with all of your sins. That's not going to work. It is a terrifying thing to be in the presence of God. Uh, Michael? No, I was just, uh, I'm still kind of stuck over the rainbow part. Yeah. So it's, Pretty unique when you talk about the Alpha and the Omega, it, that that's kind of put in there. We talk about you know all these people wanting physical signs. You know, if I've never looked at a rainbow again the same way after I became a Christian. Yeah. I mean, you talk about some of those things that just you know uh, the awe and specific to him, and that message continues that I'm still here, but. Uh, Second part of this is judgment will come other than the flood. Yeah. So it, it's it's pretty interesting that uh, you know you have that kind of woven into this this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that God always communicates uh, repeatedly is He is a covenantal God. He always does what He says, and so Ezekiel one at the end pictures the throne room, and it has the rainbow. Uh, over over that throne scene. Here it sounds like it's around the throne scene. So you can just kind of visualize that kind of color display going all over the throne room to indicate that covenantal nature of God, that he is so faithful to keep his promises and to keep his word. Now, that's good because he's made a promise to all these churches. To those who overcome, I will give. And he means it because you're seeing activity. Go, you know, all this is going on. The promises are, are intact, Debbie. I was thinking back to what I was at home watching this Wednesday night. Uh-huh. And that was the same John. Yes. And he was urging us to have supreme confidence. Yes. So what an amazing yes. gift this is. Yes. When God can be such a terrifying prospect if you're not in, in right standing with him, yeah. but that we should be supremely confident yes. we are. Yes. It is interesting that God communicates something that there really is no middle ground. You should either have the supreme confidence of, of his salvation in your life that carries you through, or you should be terrified of the day of judgment. And there's no middle. <laughs> it's just because he's going to do what he said. So he's going to carry you through or you're going to receive what is due. Uh, well, one of the two. And so, yeah, and, and First John was trying to really drive that idea. So, yeah, same author, same idea, same parallels of, 
of God communicating uh, what he wants the people to see in, in his in his character, Charlotte? I have a stupid question. How did the devil get in to see God in the book of Job? <laughs> well, that's not in the realm of our discussion here. So, <laughs> so but I mean, the short answer is God can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Uh, clearly, all spiritual beings are allowed to have access to God, but that's we can go study Job another day. Uh, what about the other uh, discussion that is going on? So the four living creatures in verse eight are saying holy. <clears throat> verse eleven, while they're saying that, the twelve twenty-four elders are worshiping. And what are they indicating? And then let's talk about why that would be so important and the big takeaway of all the things that you could say about God. What are some of the things that it's drawing on? He's worthy, worthy, worthy. Okay, worthy, why, or, and, and for what? Okay, so you are worthy. And notice that verse 11 has... Because you created all things. I mean, I mean, that's a hard stop period right there. I mean, you could just, you could condense the word of God down to that. If God didn't do anything else ever in this world, he is worthy of worship because he made you. <laughs> he tells us a million other reasons why we should worship and they're good reasons but God could have just said, I made you. That's why you should worship me. You created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I remind you of Hebrews chapter 1. He put it all there, and the only reason it's still here today is because he says so. He is in absolute control of everything that's going on. And so again, that activity in the throne room scene verifies that. Full control about that. Clayton, you had something there? Yeah, I think it's very important to focus on the word will. Yes. Because it's, it shows how effortless it is for us. It doesn't yeah. say through a extensive hard work, <laughs> everything existed and was created yeah. through something as simple as his will. That's right. Yeah, if God wants something to happen, does it happen? So there's some comfort in that, right? He's, he, he can just will it into existence, Dennis. So that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's not like he clocked in at 7 in the morning yeah. and a hard day's work. Yeah. Just by his will. Yes. Absolutely. And I've used this, this illustration before that it's not like God woke up today and went, man, I don't even know what's going on down there. I leave you alone for a few minutes and my goodness, I'm going to have to clean this mess up. You know, that's not, that's not God. He's fully in charge, fully aware. April. The other aspect of will is desire. Okay. Is that it's not just by happen chance yeah. or mistake, but it is a desire that he wants that. That's right. Yeah, he obviously, it's by his own desire, which was a part of the comfort and confidence. We'll talk about some of that even in tonight's lesson about how that's supposed to give us hope and confidence in our trials. It's because of that, Muriel. <clears throat> I'm just wondering if, you know, if those things were 
No, we're not giving it to him. What are, what are we saying? He, he's worthy of his rule. Now, here, here's the really cool idea with this. There's probably not a lot of rulers, human rulers in all of history, that you would probably be comfortable to say they were worthy of glory, honor, and power. <laughs> but God's rule causes the creation to say he's worthy of that authority. He's worthy of how he rules. He's worthy of what he does, that we can praise him. Because nobody's going to sit back and go, yeah, you know, I don't think I would have done things that way. No, we like to pull that, right? Oh, I'm so much smarter than God. I can't believe he did. No, no. He's worthy of that authority, rule, power, dominion, glory, because of how he is running the world. So that's the idea. We're ascribing and saying, he's really the one we've all been, been, been ultimately waiting for. Julie? <clears throat> well, going back to what Debbie said, you know, there's, a, there's such a comfort here, too, because they're all saying, um, you know, they're, they're pointing to his eternal nature, you know, the four living creatures who was and is and is to come. So it encompasses all, all, all time yeah. or all eternity. And then the, um, the 24 elders are saying, you know, you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So it goes back to just his eternal nature that never ends. And in that, there's great comfort. That's right. We don't have to be concerned about the end of the life here. That's right. Because God is and was and is, he's just yep. forever. That's right. So if we rest our hope in him, then we know that it's, it's, the, best, it's the best place to rest our hope. Exactly. Because he's never going to end. That's exactly right. Vicki, did you have something there? Um, yeah, he was talking about the rainbow too, um, and going back to the only the holy and what we're created for. If we do wake up and realize that he did at one point in time end it and still loved us enough to give us another shot. That's right. As much as I'm learning that we are just so lucky. Mm-hmm. And we should only feel blessed every mm-hmm. moment we're allowed to wake up That's right. and breathe. Um, because he did create us. He is that great. He That's right. is all. And it is somewhat just that simple. Yep. You should just wake up and pray. That's right. God woke you up again another day. Another day. That's right. Amen. That's what I remind us. It's like, you didn't even have the power to do that. <laughs> you were out. Somebody had to get you up and it wasn't you. <laughs> It's not like you're like, I sure hope I remember to wake up. You, know, you, don't, you don't have that power. <laughs> you know, God is completely in control. Stan? And the 4 and 20 elders taking their crowns and throwing them down as an action of abatement yeah. so that they're telling the seven churches, no matter who you encounter yeah. that's going to think that's going that's right. Yeah, you really are seeing the submission and worship, giving the uh, the one who truly deserves that versus what you've seen so far with uh, the, the problems of Jewish persecution, Roman uh, pagan worship have already been portrayed in those in those two chapters. We're going to see more of that uh, in the book. Here is clearly here's where worship belongs. He is 
worthy of that worship. He is the one that we're putting uh, our, our, our ultimate hope in. So you're worthy to receive that glory, honor, and power. And if you think about it long enough, nobody else is. Nobody else has used their rule in a way that is worthy of this. Uh, everybody else blows it. Everybody else is selfish. Everybody else is wicked. Only he has that, that ultimate authority, and that's why our hope is there. That's why we look to his rule and his reign and his power, because that's, uh, that's what it should, should really matter to us, and that's what they're able to put their finger on. Mary? That's right. And, uh, they're asked to do a big job. That's right. So parenting is making my son a great quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Star basketball sure. player. Sure. Yeah. You know, something needs to change there <clears throat> to get, because it can happen. Yep. But what we're doing is the reversal. That's or right. People just, you know, you, you see a stadium full of, Spectators for the weekend. You see that in the church. Yeah, yeah. They're all there at the sports. <laughs> <arena. laughs> yeah, that's because we're all we're all about entertainment. That's what matters to us. We right. want to be entertained. And I'm, I'm not. I mean, I could take or leave that kind of stuff. <laughs> very like right in front of the TV every weekend. Yeah. Um, but, but I I just feel like we need to really focus on parenting thing yeah. bring people to knowledge of yep. uh, what really is the way of, to, to be close to God. That's right. Yeah, one, one of two things is, is going to happen because this is symptomatic of all the other problems in our society that when you take God away as being the standard, when you erode morality, when you take away values, when you take away absolute standards, when you say, Everybody has their own truth and they can do what they think is right. These are the things that you're ultimately going to get. So one of two outcomes is, number one, things are going to get so bad that there will be a boomerang effect and people are going to realize this is not working because we're having near anarchy as everybody does whatever they want to do and the rules don't apply to anybody and this will be our chance to walk into that space and say, that's why we need God. That's why we need morals. That's why we need absolutes. That's why God gave us these things because these things are for your good or more likely uh, their hearts will be hardened all the more and we will obliterate ourselves as a culture and the next one will rise up and we will be in the long list of history books of people and civilizations who have risen and fallen just like in the past, but, which is what everybody, you know, Roman Empire, Persian Empire, Grecian Empire, you know, everybody. So one of two, you know, is that either we can wake up and turn to God and, and God bless us and have a revival or we can just destroy ourselves and Humans like to destroy themselves. That's kind of our motto. 
<laughs> you know, complete de-evolution of ourselves. We're not improving. We're only getting worse. Uh, and, and so, yeah, but you're right. Hopefully people have enough insight to look around and go, we've got to do something about this. Absolutely. Uh, so really a, a, a powerful picture of who God is here in, in, in chapter four. That powerful picture carries into chapter 5, and Lord willing, we will get to look at chapter 5, but keep this this covenantal, faithful activity of God in your mind as you come into chapter 5, because there's a problem that that exists, a problem that needs to be solved, and this is going to really set the tone of where the book is going, And, and so... Uh, really digging into chapter five then uh, for for next week. I I don't know that we'll get through the whole chapter. Maybe maybe not. You know, but you know, prepare yourselves as, as if we are. Uh, Fifteen minute break, and we'll reconvene at ten thirty for our next hour of worship. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate your comments.